You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And so we want to welcome the Spirit of the living God because we want Him to change us. We want to encounter this amazing God and allow Him to have His way with us this morning as we try to become more like Him, to follow Him, and to trust and obey Him. So I'd like to open our time in the Word now by asking God to do just that. So would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you would work powerfully this morning, that we would have eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts willing to respond to what you reveal to us. Spirit, we invite your work, we welcome your work, and we thank you for your work. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we dive into God's word this week, and as we're coming to the end of this amazing letter to this community of churches known as the Galatian churches, I'd like to return to a story and to finish that story that I told for those of you who were watching the Facebook sermon preview earlier this week. So. Last weekend, of course, was Mother's Day weekend. And for us, it was a very different Mother's Day this year. Um, It had a weight, it had a heaviness to it that we haven't really experienced before. I mean, yes, we absolutely celebrated my wife, Jamie, for the wonderful wife and mother that she is, and it was a very special day in that respect. But it was noticeable for who was missing from that day. You see, this was the first Mother's Day where we celebrated without Jamie's mom, because her mom went home to be with the Lord earlier this year. And this Mother's Day for my mom was the first time in 55 years that she celebrated Mother's Day without my dad, because he went home to be with the Lord earlier this year as well. So there was a weight, there was a heaviness to this year's Mother's Day celebration for us. And so as I'm thinking back to last weekend, I'm remembering that that Saturday, I was up on the roof. I was giving my wife an early Mother's Day gift. We were putting in a tubular skylight, so I was up there finishing that up. So I didn't hear the knock that was on the door and the folks who had came. In fact, I didn't know that anyone had come to our door. But after finishing on the roof, I came downstairs or came down off the ladder, I guess I should say, and was putting all my tools away. And I just happened to open my front door because that's not normally the door we go in and out of to our house. We usually go out through the garage. So anyway, I opened the front door and and there it sat, this, this gift. And it was a gift of flowers and a card. In fact, there were two flower baskets and two cards because you see two separate families had realized, had remembered that this Mother's Day was potentially a difficult one for our family with the losses that we've had this year. And so they had left these flowers and these cards. And for someone to remember that, for someone to tangibly do something about that, lifted some of the heaviness and some of the weight, to use the words that we'll see in this passage today, lifted some of the burden of that Mother's Day for us. It was a profoundly thoughtful, kind thing to do. And I was struck by the realization as I was preparing for our time in the Word today that that is the type of thing we're all called to do and to be. You see, we're called to be a community, a community of individuals who depend on one another, who do life together, and yes, who lift one another's 
burdens. In fact, when we live like that, it's distinctive, it's unique. There's a unity that comes with that community that gets the attention of people around us because who lives like that? Who goes out of their way to do something like that? Well, we do because we are the family of God. We are the community of Jesus Christ. And if you've been with us these last handful of weeks, we looked at a couple weeks ago with Pastor Gabe that we are called to freedom. And then last week we looked at the reality that we are not only called to freedom, but we are to live out that freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now the Apostle Paul in this amazing letter to the Galatians is going to tell them very tangibly and practically, this is how you live out that spirit-filled freedom in your relationships. He's going to give very specific, very practical, and very powerful wisdom on what spirit-filled relationships mean and what they look like. In fact, this passage is so loaded that I'm choosing to divide it into two parts. We'll do part one this morning. Part two will come back to next week as we finish out this letter because there's so much practical wisdom for how we live out these spirit-filled relationships together, what they look like, what they're like. So we're gonna pick up right where we left off last week. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter five, and we're gonna start at verse 25 and then go into the passage that we'll be looking at here today. So this is Galatians chapter 5, verses 25, and then chapter 6 through verse 6. So here we go. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So right out of the gate, he's talking very practically and very tangibly about how we relate to one another as a community. And one of the first things he points out here is that we are to not beat each other up. We are to build one another up. So build one another up. Don't beat each other up. And now let's work our way back through each of those verses because they are loaded with practical truth and wisdom for us in our relationships together. And notice right out of the gate, he says, brothers and sisters. And he's reminding the Galatians that they are family and that we are family. When you choose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you enter into a brand new family. It's a, it's a global family. It's a worldwide family, but it's also a local and communal family. And so we're called to very distinctive spirit-filled relationships as a result because we've been changed from the inside out by Jesus Christ. We now have his spirit to live in relationship the way God always intended it with each other. But unfortunately, we are going to have to do battle with this reality of sin, this brokenness, this sin nature the flesh, as Paul has referred to it, and as we've looked at in these prior weeks. And sometimes one of us is going to be caught in sin. And there's a lot that comes with what he's talking about here. What does it mean to be caught 
in sin. Think about that with me for just a moment. It infers that there's a pattern, that it's a cycle of brokenness and selfishness that continues to repeat itself over and over again. Um, it gets the idea or gives the idea of you're kind of trapped in it. And not only does it keep repeating itself, but you're harming yourself or maybe even harming others by, by what you're doing. And maybe you're aware of it and maybe you're not. But the point is you're caught and you can't get out of it. And it's a powerful reminder of what we looked at last week, that all of us have this brokenness that lives within us, this sin nature that's incredibly powerful, that permeates and pervades what we say, what we think, what we do, how we, how we act. And so sometimes we're caught there. Do you know anyone who's caught in sin right now? Could that be describing you? Because the reality is, if you're not, you will be at some point. So what do we do about that? Well, Paul makes it really clear that that's not just a you problem. That's a we problem. That's something that we as a community steer into together. We have a responsibility that when someone who knows Jesus is caught in sin, we are to go to them. We are to enter into that. It's not just a them problem. It's, it's a you problem. And he says, you who live by the Spirit need to step into that. And it's easy for us to think that that's someone else's responsibility. Or when he says, you, by the, you who live in the Spirit are you in the Spirit. Okay, well, he's talking about the elders. He's talking about the pastoral staff. He's talking about the experts. They need to be the ones to step into that. No. He's saying that very deliberately to include all of us. If you know Jesus Christ, you have his spirit. Therefore, this is talking about not just me, but, but you. And so as a community, we're called to steer into this type of accountability, these types of relationships with one another. And he gives some real practical advice about that. He reminds us that you may be tempted yourself. You may be tempted by the same sin, the same brokenness. I'll never forget the first time this really became a reality for me. I was on um, a pastoral retreat at uh, the church that I had grown up in. I had um, went off to college, come back, married Jamie, and then had been hired as the middle school pastor. I was by far and away the youngest person on the staff team. And we would go away um, a couple times each year to do some leadership development as a leadership team. And we'd always bring in a speaker to challenge us, inspire us, speak to us. And I'll never forget this one speaker who was spending time with us and he got a phone call in the middle of what he was doing with us. And because of the nature of the call, he stopped and stepped out of the room and was gone for a while and then came back and he came back pale and obviously shaken by the conversation he'd had and what he had heard. And he said, we need to stop what we were talking about and we need to talk about this. And what he began to talk about was someone in the community, a leader that we all knew, who really was an expert in working with other leaders 
who were struggling with sin in their lives. In particular, this man was incredibly skilled at stepping into situations where an affair had happened and helping bring healing and repentance. And um, that was his, his gifting. And he was incredibly gifted at doing it. And that phone call was the reality that this guy had fallen into an affair himself. This pastor of pastors, this person who was known and gifted at helping other people had now fallen into the same sin that he was helping other people with. And it was heartbreaking. And I remember there just being this stunned silence as he was telling us this. And he said, what do you guys think about this? And I just was kind of verbally processing at that point. And I spoke up. I I normally didn't. But I spoke up and said, that could happen to me. And he said, that is absolutely right. Don't you ever forget that. And it was a defining moment for me. And it was a realization that I'm capable of just about anything when I default to my sin nature. I don't have to. Gratefully, the Spirit of God is far stronger than my sinful nature. We looked at that reality last week. But the other reality is I can fall into any type of sin and brokenness at any point. And therefore, I can't assume that I'm immune to that. And that's the warning that Paul is giving us here. Anyone is capable of anything. We have to guard our hearts. We have to be very deliberate in choosing to trust and obey God and to listen and respond to his Holy Spirit. So he warns us, you know, be careful that you're not tempted to, but it's not just about replicating the sin of the other person. It's also about the sin of arrogance, the sin of conceit that he already spoke to in what we read, that you can think you're better than other people, and that sets you up to to not only have the temptation of pride, but to quite possibly replicate or fall into the brokenness that, that someone else is involved in. And again, it reminds us of this power and the reach of our of our sinful nature. And that's why in part he says, don't think that you're better than you are. Don't think you're something when you're nothing. He's not saying we're worthless. He's giving us a reality check. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant. Because as we think about this, how does our culture respond to brokenness? How often is our culture outraged? Is our culture indignant, critical? Or how often does our culture attack someone when they they do something that our culture says is wrong or even sinful? Our culture, our world can be profoundly graceless and condemning. And we're not called to be that way. At the same time, we're not called to avoid it. And it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to assume it's someone else's responsibility to speak into someone's life when they're caught or trapped in sin. And as we've already seen, uh, no, it's our responsibility, if we can do something about it, to do something about it with a fellow brother and sister in Christ. And so we're not called to attack and we're not called to avoid. We're called to help. And that's the point here. And how we help someone caught in sin greatly, greatly matters. In fact, he gives us some real specifics about this. He says that we are to restore them gently. And as you think about what this really means, if you go back to the original language, to restore gently brings to mind the setting of a dislocated bone 
That's, that's the root of what that word means. Now, you ever had something that's been dislocated? Ever had a dislocated bone? Thankfully, I never have, but I sure know people who have, and I've seen it happen, and it's incredibly painful. But there's another type of pain that comes with it, and that is when that bone is reset. I've been told, and I'm glad I haven't experienced this, I hope I never do, but I've been told by people who have had dislocated whatever, that when it gets reset, that pain is even more excruciating, more awful than the pain of the dislocation. But the reality is, it is a healing pain. And that's what we're called to, is when we are coming to someone who is trapped in sin, a brother or sister who is trapped in sin, we are called to do so gently, humbly, carefully, but we are called to do it. It reminds me of the proverb out of the Old Testament, Proverbs 27.10, that says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's talking about healing pain. That's talking about someone who loves you enough to tell you what you probably don't want to hear. And that is the truth. That is someone who will lovingly come to you, lovingly confront you, lovingly hold you accountable and speak truth into your life, which takes a profound amount of courage. So are you that kind of friend? Are you that kind of friend to the people in your life? Or on the other side of that, are there people in your life who you allow to be truth tellers for you? Because one of the things I see more often than I would like to see as a pastor is people firing the truth tellers in their life. Someone comes to them and they don't like what they hear. And so they shut them out. They unfriend them. They block them. They cut off the relationship because they don't want the accountability. And that's so sad to see. But what Paul's describing here is a community of people who love one, or, love one another enough to muster the courage to have the hard conversations, but to do so in a loving, caring, gentle, but direct way. And that's what we're called to, is to be this interdependent community. And one of the looks of that interdependency isn't just confronting one another in our sin, which we absolutely need to do, but it's also about carrying one another's burdens. And what a beautiful picture here. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So what's the law of Christ? Well, Jesus explained that on a number of occasions. In Matthew 22, he was asked, you know, what, what's the bottom line of what God's word says? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God and love other people. You want to summarize the application of the entire Bible? There it is. Love God, love other people. That is the law of Christ. Carrying one another's burdens is one of the ways we live out our love our interdependency as a community for one another. And it's a powerful picture. And it's a vibrant picture that he paints here. When it says burden here, he's talking about an overload. He's talking about more weight than you and I can possibly carry alone. It reminds me of times when 
Jamie would come in the door with her arms full of all these groceries. And the kids and I had a choice at that point. We could watch her struggle under too much weight and probably drop something, or we could actually do something about it. But to do something about it, we had to go over and we had to assume some of that weight ourselves. We had to literally pick up one of those grocery bags or grab that gallon of milk or whatever it was, but we had to actually do something about it. It's a call to action. And that's what he's talking about here is you got to get close enough to someone when it comes to burdens of what any, whatever kind they are and actually help them. Sometimes that means if it's an emotional burden, you got to get close enough to hurt with them. And that's challenging. It means that you take on some of their pain. It means that you don't just help from a distance, but that you get near and you actually help. And this has a variety of looks. I mean, one of those ways we did that in this community yesterday was with our food drive. We, we had a drive-by food drive to support the food bank, which you heard me describe earlier in our time this morning, but also our Backpack Blessings Ministry that sends backpacks into our community here for kids on the weekends who don't have access to consistent food. And so we had this food drive and a number of you came and dropped off food. And that is a very tangible way of lifting the burden of some of those in our community. But this has other looks as well. This can be as simple as leaving a card and flowers on someone's porch when you know they're hurting, when you know that there's a burden that, that you can lift. I mean, the, the, the ways of doing this are endless, but I think a very significant way for us right now is the gift of listening. You know, I know that it's frustrating in this shelter in season that we can't get out and be together and do the things we'd like to do and lift burdens in many ways like we normally would be able to if we could have in-person community. But here's the deal. It does not mean that we can't lift the burdens of other people. Something that's always needed is for someone to listen to someone else. You know, I have been on the receiving end of this with the, the crisis that we've had in our family this last year. And so many of you have been so loving in how you've listened and how you've engaged. You have helped lift our burdens by just being there, by just engaging in conversation and then listening. And it's an interesting thing that can sometimes happen. And I've done this myself. And that is when you're listening to someone, it's awfully easy to quickly shift gears and to tell your story and to tell your experience or to tell about your uncle who had that happen or whatever. And I just want to encourage you and caution you that before you tell your story, as helpful as that can be, listen to someone else's. Make sure you understand because that truly is helping lift their burden is for you to get it and for you to give it through listening. Because the reality is at some point, you are going to have more than you can carry. You know, you'll hear people say, God will give you, God will never give you more than you can possibly handle. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I do think there's layers to that. And that's probably for another sermon at another time. But this certainly is the reality. This world absolutely will give you at times more than you can possibly carry alone. You will struggle under the weight of more than you can possibly carry. And that's why God calls us as a community to help one another carry 
that unbelievable weight. But there is a balance to this, and he gives us this balance in the next verse. He says, each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Catch this, for each one should carry their own load. And when it says here, carry their own load, this is talking about a load that you can carry on your own. In fact, you have to. This is analogous not to a bunch of grocery bags or a weight that you can't carry, but this is analogous to a backpack. See, I can carry a backpack, and I do often. And the reality of what he's saying here is everyone has their own load. All of us do. When you begin to stop and listen and to care for other people, you realize everybody has a difficult load at times, has burdens that they're carrying. But what our tendency can be to do is to compare ourselves. And I think he's directly speaking to that in this verse. It's easy for us to think that our load is far heavier than someone else's. And that's not necessarily the case. In fact, he tells us here to carry our own load, to take responsibility for our own load, and to really test our hearts and to make sure that we're not comparing ourselves to other people and we're not saying my load is heavier than yours, but we are carrying what we can, where we can, when we can. There's a level of responsibility that he speaks to here. I've had the privilege in these past years of getting a little bit closer to the story of my father's house. My father's house is one of the ministries that we support here in our community as a church family, and they are a homeless shelter. They take 41 families off the street on a consistent basis. They give them a safe place to live. They give them job training, life skills, and they prepare them to launch them back into the community. And then they have a transitional housing um, step that they provide for them, but then the intent is to help these families become self-sufficient and to re-engage in the community once again. And their measurement of success is after the families leave my father's house, are they able to hold down a job? Are they able to, to uh, pay rent or even purchase a house? Are they able to have that stability back in their lives once again? And I'm thrilled to tell you they have an 80% success rate. My friends, that is light years beyond what any other government entity can do. And this is a private Christian entity that us and a number of other churches and, and individuals support that is making a profound difference in our community. And I remember having a conversation with the director a couple years ago, Kathy Weiss, and asking her, Kathy, what's the secret sauce here? How is it you're able to have an 80% success rate with the folks that you work with, which is absolutely remarkable? And I understand, obviously, the X factor is Jesus. They introduce them to the Lord. A number of them come to know the Lord, receive the Lord into their lives. But there are those who don't, and yet they still have this high success rate. So what is the secret sauce? And without hesitation, she looked me in the eye and she said, we teach them to take responsibility, and we do not do anything for themselves, for them, that they can do for themselves. And I stopped and I let that thing sink in. They don't do anything for anybody that that person can do for themselves. What are they doing there? The application of what we're reading here. They're helping people learn how to carry their own burdens where they need to. And I think there's a good practical word here for us. We are called to be burden 
lifters, not, not burden givers. And we need to test our hearts about that. How do you know when you're in a burden giving relationship? Well, when you're doing something for someone that they reasonably can do for themselves. And again, there's layers to this for sure. But burden givers tend to have this attitude of entitlement. And there's a lot of that in our culture. An attitude of entitlement that I'm owed this. And burden givers tend to make excuses instead of taking responsibility. Burden lifters, on the other hand, they, they make plans. They steer into things. They take initiative. They, they take responsibility. And, and my concern as a pastor, as I say this, is the wrong people are going to hear the wrong things with this. That some of you are going to think you're burden givers when you're not. But on the other hand, some of you think you're burden lifters and you're also not. And, and there needs to be life change for all of us as we grow in these things. But that's why we need one another. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need an interdependent community. That's why we need truth tellers in our lives. That's why we need the power of God's word is to figure this stuff out together, to be able to figure out this balance of what he's calling us to. But he goes on to help us understand really what this balance is about when he says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, this feels like he's going off an entirely different subject, but he's actually not. It's very connected to what we have been talking about together. The context for this, once again, was you had these teachers who were coming into the church. A number of them were false teachers. But you also had people like Paul who were teaching the word of God and were teaching how to have right relationship with God. And the relationship with these teachers was such that if you were teaching other people, you were expected to be compensated for that. So there was this, this compensation relationship. But what Paul is saying here is it's way more than that. It's intended to be a reciprocal relationship where teachers are teaching God's word generously because they want to, because they love to, because they should. And students are learning because they want to and they need to and they're welcoming that. But it's this idea of this reciprocal relationship. And this really is the bottom line is that we're called to give generously and to receive gratefully. Now let's go there for a minute. Do you give generously? When you see a need and you can do something about it, do you? A number of you do. Well, we have a church, we have a community full of generous givers. Man, I've, I've seen that firsthand. There are a number of you who consistently live this out. But I think there is a propensity for some of us to struggle with receiving. We love to give, but will we receive? And what Paul is saying here is the two go hand in hand. You see, because of this broken world we live in, there will come a time when you need help. When you won't be in the position of being the giver, you'll be in the position of being the receiver. Will you receive that help? And will you do so gratefully? Because we can become very prideful in that. And when we need help, we can refuse it or not take advantage of it. And that's not what we're called to either. 
We're called to be both. When we can do something to help someone else, we're called to help. But when we need help ourselves, we're also called to receive it. And our example of all this is Jesus himself. Jesus, the one who lifts our burdens. Jesus, the one who gives to us. But Jesus, also the one who receives from us. Consider this verse in the letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to a, a series of churches. In 1 Peter chapter 2.24, he says this, and he's talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Oh, there's so much there. But how much does that capture of what we've been talking about? Jesus has bore our greatest burden, the burden of our sinfulness, our sinful nature, our, our brokenness. He took that to the cross on our behalf. He died the death that we should die and in our place was resurrected to new life and lived the life that we now should live through the power of his Holy Spirit. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he's lifted this burden off of us of, of this sin. And now his spirit who lives within us is far more powerful than our sin nature. We don't always believe it, but it's true. Jesus is the one who lifts our burdens. And he is the one who changes us. He doesn't just change our behavior. He is our savior. He changes us from the inside out. And not only does he lift our burdens, but he gives to us. He gives us life. He gives us freedom. He gives us hope. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us purpose. We could go on and on about all he gives us, but he also wants to receive from us. Do you realize that? He wants to receive from us our worship in return for what he has done for us. We are to worship him. He wants our allegiance. He doesn't want us to just be fans. He wants us to be followers. He wants us to trust and obey him, to believe him, to love him, to pursue him, to experience him. And he receives our worship because he deserves our worship. So how will you worship him this morning? as we prepare to respond through music, through music worship, as we prepare to sing together, will you mean what you sing and what you think about and what you hear and what you're about to say? In this next song where we sing, Yes, I Will, will you commit your life to follow him? Will you recommit your life to loving him, to trusting and obeying him, to being a burden lifter instead of a burden giver? to learning how to help other people, how to give generously, and how to receive gratefully. Let's sing together as we experience him together and pursue him together. How he has blessed us, how we have life through him. Once again, I want to remind you of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. He died so that we could live.
he was wounded so that we could be healed. And now we live out his law of love by loving him and by loving one another as a community. And so as you prepare to head once again into this week, make the choice to live for him, love him, and love other people. Thanks for being with us this morning. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.